May 22, 1718, the people of Charleston, South Carolina, then known as Charlestown, gazed out into the harbor in confusion. Four ships, one large frigate and three sloops, sailed into the harbor that afternoon, but didn't dock. Instead, they formed an arc near the harbor entrance, almost like a barrier. After some time, a pilot boat captain decided he and his men were going to go investigate. Perhaps the ship got caught on the sandbar and needed a tow? The pilot boat made its way to the frigate. When it pulled up alongside it, the crew was helped aboard and promptly held at gunpoint. The pilot realized these men holding cutlasses and flintlock pistols were pirates. The armed men parted down the middle, making way for their captain. As the pilot and his crew gazed upon him, their eyes widened in utter fear. Before them stood a giant of a man with a dark braided beard. He was dressed in a bright red velvet coat, flashy black pants, and buckled shoes. It was at that moment that the pilot knew who had taken siege of the bay, Captain Edward Teach, the most feared pirate in the Atlantic. The man everyone along the coast knew as Blackbeard. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This season on Dictators, we're exploring some of history's most famous pirate leaders. Although democracy prevailed in the choosing of a pirate captain, many of these larger-than-life men held onto power through tyrannical means. This week, we begin our tale about the most notorious pirate in history, Edward Teach, commonly known as Blackbeard. We'll explore Blackbeard's mysterious origins as he went from obscure crew member to fearsome pirate captain, earning a reputation as the Devil Incarnate. Next week, we'll dive into Blackbeard's treachery as he betrays the bulk of his crew in order to save himself and how a self-serving governor was determined to put an end to Blackbeard's reign of terror. Coming up, we'll set sail. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, 
you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The golden age of piracy in the Caribbean is generally broken into two periods, the buccaneers of the mid-1600s and the post-Spanish War of Succession period of the 1710s and 20s. In the era of the buccaneers, in which French, British, and Dutch sailors brought hellfire to the Spanish galleons, no man was more successful than Captain Henry Morgan. But in the second period, the quintessential sea thief was a man commonly known as Blackbeard. Though he only terrorized the seas of North America for a brief period, Blackbeard left a legacy unlike most. He was everything Hollywood could have dreamed of a ruthless, tyrannical, and treacherous cutthroat. The Caribbean and the coast of North America shuddered at the sight of his ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, and other ships almost always surrendered the moment his flag was raised. And yet, for a man who was widely believed to be the devil incarnate, much of what we know about Blackbeard is a complete mystery, a tale whose lines have become blurred between fact and myth. The foundation of what we know comes from Captain Charles Johnson. In 1724, Johnson wrote a book entitled A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates. The book chronicles many of the famous pirates we know today, a veritable who's who of sea rogues. However, there is a bit of a problem. Charles Johnson is widely believed to be a pseudonym. And in the nearly four centuries since his book was written, no one has been able to pin down his true identity. His stories have been notoriously difficult to corroborate. The mystery behind the book clouds the truth about the people he described, none of whom are more famous than Blackbeard. The man known as Blackbeard was born Edward Teach sometime around 1680. At least, that's the consensus. No birth year has ever been officially established, and many records have listed his real name as either Thatch or Tash. Even more mysterious is a theory that none of the names were real. In fact, some have speculated that Blackbeard used Teach and Thatch as pseudonyms, presumably to hide his real identity from the authorities. The mysteries of Teach's origins extend to where he was born as well. Some say he was born in the American colonies, Virginia, Philadelphia, North Carolina, and Jamaica are all given as possibilities. But according to Captain Charles Johnson, Teach hailed from Bristol, England. And to most historians, Bristol is the likely place because it was one of England's busiest ports. Considering that Teach made a reputation as a skilled seaman and captain, growing up in a port town makes sense. Allegedly, Teach's father died when the boy was in his early teens. His mother remarried, and Teach and his stepfather shared a mutual hatred of one another. When Teach was 16 years old, he and his stepfather got into a heated argument. The shouting escalated into violence, and Teach beat his stepfather nearly to death. Fleeing the authorities, Teach joined a merchant ship as a cabin boy. In 1697, he landed in Port Royal, Jamaica, and worked as a merchant seaman for the next few years. Historian Angus Constum notes that there isn't any hard evidence to support this tale. Instead, Constum argues that in all likelihood, 
The teenage teach simply signed on to work on a slave ship. Slavery was, sadly, an important part of the burgeoning transatlantic trade system. From Bristol, whichever ship Teach signed on for would likely have traveled to West Africa before first dropping anchor in the so-called New World. Whatever the true nature of what brought him across the globe, by 1700, Edward Teach was a working seaman in the Caribbean. By the time Teach made it to Port Royal, Jamaica, the once raucous and lawless town was on the decline. After the British captured Jamaica from the Spanish in 1655, they founded Port Royal on the southern side of the island. And it was a hub for buccaneers, English and French sea bandits who scoured the seas looking for Spanish galleons filled with gold. For years, buccaneers terrorized Spanish ships and settlements. The most successful buccaneer was Sir Henry Morgan. Morgan sacked the Spanish strongholds of Portobello and Panama City, enriching himself and his crew. And it was all legal, because the buccaneers were also privateers. As we discussed in the last two episodes, privateers were essentially engaged in legal piracy. During times of war, monarchies issued commissions which gave ship captains the right to raid enemy ships and forts. The sailors were allowed to keep their plunder so long as the crown got a cut of the loot. But what made the buccaneers stand apart was the fact that their sole enemy was the Spanish Empire. While pirates were historically only loyal to themselves, the buccaneers' hatred of Spain was what united them. And Spain saw them as nothing more than thieves. It was a blood feud on a national scale. By the time Teach arrived in the Caribbean, the era of the buccaneer had passed. However, Teach knew how to read and write, something that was quite uncommon among the average sailor. He not only would have heard the exciting stories of buccaneer raids, but also would have read about them. Hearing and reading about these larger-than-life figures like Henry Morgan and Henry Every must have inspired Edward Teach to be more than just a merchant sailor. There were riches to be made and stolen in the European colonies. All Teach needed was an opportunity. Luckily, he didn't have to wait too long. In the summer of 1701, the War of Spanish Succession broke out. And soon after that, England began hiring privateers once more. The War of Spanish Succession was a 13-year war involving the French, British, Austrians, Dutch, and Italians, among others. When the King of Spain died without an heir, it created a power vacuum between Europe's powerful families that spread to the various colonies they ruled. Spain had one of the largest empires by far, and everyone wanted it. Contemporaneously, over in the colonies, another conflict erupted, which became known as Queen Anne's War. This war was an excuse to gain colonial territory and disrupt trade. All three countries involved, England, France, and Spain, hired privateers to raid enemy ships. And all the English crown required of its privateers was 20% of the spoils. For the first few years of the War of Spanish Succession, most of the men who became privateers already had the experience. Unfortunately, for unclear reasons, the number of willing English privateers was lower than expected. As the war dragged on, England became desperate. So desperate that in 1708, the Crown decided to end their policy of taking 20%. 
Not only did their privateers still have legal protection, but now they got to keep everything they took. English privateering immediately surged, and among the new recruits was 28-year-old Edward Teach. Of course, like much of Teach's early life, we know very little of his time during the War of Spanish Succession. We don't know how many battles he fought, where he sailed, or with whom. All we can say for sure was that from around 1708 to the next six years or so, Teach earned his experience as a legal pirate. And according to Captain Charles Johnson, even though he was never made a commander, Teach distinguished himself for his uncommon boldness and personal courage. He was starting to earn a reputation. The War of Spanish Succession ended in 1714, leaving many privateers unemployed, including Teach. And for the next couple of years, Edward Teach is lost in the history books. Historian Angus Constum theorizes he may have taken up logwood cutting, legitimate work often done by former privateers and buccaneers. Unfortunately, the Spanish saw these logwood encampments as a chance for some revenge. Almost immediately after the war, they began raiding and plundering the buccaneers' camps. Frustrated, many of the logwooders threw up their hands and quit. The legitimate work wasn't worth the constant harassment from the Spanish. Many decided to make their way to the Bahamas and form their own oasis on the island of New Providence and to return to piracy. A failed and abandoned British colony, New Providence's central location in the Bahamas made it easy to raid the Caribbean and the American colonies nearby. Even better, the surrounding waters were deep enough for the smaller pirate ships, but too shallow for government man-o'-wars. It was the perfect place to build a pirate haven, a new Port Royal. It's very likely that Edward Teach was among the logwood cutters who flocked to New Providence after the war. Because by 1715, we know that Teach was in the New Providence town of Nassau. And while he was in Nassau, Teach met a man named Captain Benjamin Hornigold. Hornigold was famous throughout the Caribbean as one of the most successful privateers during Queen Anne's War. At the time of their meeting, Hornigold was putting together a crew of sailors to terrorize the seas. He promised Teach that if he joined, he would become richer than he could ever imagine. Teach knew he couldn't pass up the opportunity. He immediately said yes. But he wasn't just signing on to be a privateer. Edward Teach had just agreed to become a full-fledged pirate. Coming up, Edward Teach transforms into Blackbeard. You discover their practices, seek their advice, and let yourself become more vulnerable than ever before. They have the ability to heal what the doctors can't, or so they say. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from the podcast series Cults. Be sure to check out our four-part special on miracle healers airing right now. Meet figures from around the world who claimed powers and pushed remedies, but harbored more sinister intentions. You don't want to miss it. And if you're looking for more episodes on the most radical and deadly groups in history, tune in to Cults every Tuesday. From Jim Jones and the People's Temple, to Charles Manson and the Manson family, to Keith Raniere and Nexium. 
you'll uncover the unscrupulous methods used to turn bright-eyed recruits into die-hard believers. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. When the War of Spanish Succession ended in 1714, many privateers flocked to New Providence. And by 1715, the small island in the Bahamas had transformed into a pirate haven. Among those men was a privateer named Edward Teach. Sometime around 1715, Teach signed on to become a member of Captain Benjamin Hornigold's pirate crew. And in Hornigold, Edward Teach found a mentor. Benjamin Hornigold had the reputation as one of the most successful and feared privateers in the Caribbean. And unlike most privateers who looked for legitimate work when Queen Anne's War ended in 1713, Hornigold refused to accept peace. He continued pillaging enemy ships throughout the region. Although every government now dubbed him a pirate, in his mind, he was still a privateer. He never touched English or Dutch ships, only his homeland's former enemies, the French and Spanish. Hornigold wasn't alone. Several notable privateer captains decided they weren't going to let the fun end because a couple of monarchs signed a piece of paper on the other side of the globe. These men called themselves the Flying Gang. And within a few short years, some of history's most famous pirates got their start sailing under their tutelage, including Edward Teach. Sometime around 1715, Teach set sail on Hornigold's ship. Immediately, Teach proved that he was a cut above the rest. Unfortunately, about a year into this new venture, trouble struck. Even though Hornigold was no longer an official privateer, Hornigold was still loyal to the British crown and refused to attack British merchant ships. This code made him a relic among the new generation of pirates. Hornigold's men didn't care what flag a merchant ship flew. British, Spanish, French, or Dutch. A ship was a ship. And with each passing day, their frustration grew about the lost opportunities for plunder. Finally, in August 1716, after once more letting a British vessel pass by, the crew had enough. They voted Hornigold out of command and named one of their shipmates, Sam Bellamy, as the new captain. While the crew had become frustrated with Hornigold, they did respect him enough to not maroon him on an island. Instead, he was allowed to sail off in a small sloop with a few of his loyal men. Among them was Edward Teach. With their small crew, Hornigold and Teach continued to raid and attack ships throughout the rest of 1716. And at some point in the fall or early winter, Hornigold gave Teach one of their captured ships. It was likely a sign of gratitude for Teach's loyalty in the midst of mutiny. In the spring of 1717, Teach and Hornigold returned to New Providence and agreed to go their separate ways. 
While we don't know the reasons for the separation, it isn't hard to imagine that Teach was ready to be on his own. For nearly two decades, Teach had spent his life on another captain's ship. With a ship of his own, he could make a name and fortune for himself. By March 1717, Edward Teach was at the brink of becoming his own captain. All he needed was a crew, and an opportunity was about to float his way. At the end of the summer, a 10-cannon sloop called the Revenge sailed into Nassau with a wild tail. They had just survived a harrowing battle against a Spanish man-o'-war. Miraculously, the Revenge made it through, but about 30 to 40 crewmen were killed or injured. Among the injured was their captain, Steed Bonnet. The Revenge crew had already grown disgruntled with Bonnet. Unlike most pirate captains, he was never voted into power. A wealthy plantation owner, Bonnet bought his ship and named himself captain. Bonnet's lack of experience and abnormal rise to power made him a weak and unpopular leader. And Teach, who was already respected among sailors, had an idea to capitalize on Bonnet's weakness. Though the Revenge needed repairs, it was still a better ship than what Teach was sailing. Somehow, Teach convinced the injured Bonnet to cede over control of the ship. Bonnet would be allowed to stay on and live in the captain's quarters, but Teach would really be in control. Teach repaired the Revenge, added a couple more cannons, and set out north with his new crew of 150. Throughout September and October 1717, Teach and the Revenge patrolled the mid-Atlantic coast of America. They discovered that Delaware Bay, the stretch of water below New Jersey, was prime hunting territory. And before long, newspapers in Boston and Philadelphia were beginning to report on Teach's success plundering American merchant vessels. By the time Teach took to the seas, searching for gold was a thing of the past. Most of the loot pirates captured consisted of supplies, food, and weapons. The new hot commodity that pirates were after was rum. The cliché that pirates were drunk all of the time was actually kind of true. Rum and wine were two of the most sought-after products, and consequently, alcoholism was a major problem on the seas. Some pirates even met their end because they were drunk or hung over when attacked by a royal fleet. Booze was a great way to keep the crew happy and an excellent way to keep hold of power. For Edward Teach, keeping his crew happy was a means to an end, complete and total authority. But with each successful raid, the revenge became increasingly overcrowded. 150 men plus barrels of loot made it cramped on board. Teach knew that if he wanted to keep up with his success, he was going to need to upgrade his ship. And toward the end of 1717, he spotted the perfect vessel to take as his flagship. La Concorde was a 200-ton, 16-gun French slave ship that had been sailing the Middle Passage for four years. And on November 28, 1717, Edward Teach spotted her near the island of Martinique. By most accounts, La Concorde should have put up a decent fight against Teach's revenge. La Concorde was bigger, better armed, and battle-tested. However, during its voyage from Africa, several storms had damaged the ship's structure and the crew had succumbed to disease. 
The ship was weakened, and the crew were too ill to fight. So when La Concorde's captain saw Edward Teach raise his black flag, he knew that any kind of fight would result in a massacre. He immediately surrendered. Teach took La Concorde to a nearby island and repaired the damaged ship, adding six more cannons that had been taken from previous raids. When the construction was complete, he renamed the ship Queen Anne's Revenge. Teach also took 61 enslaved individuals into his crew. Meanwhile, the La Concorde's captain and the rest of his crew and human cargo were stripped of their weapons and valuables. However, Teach gave them a sloop and allowed them on their way. While this appeared to be a kindness, it was also a surefire way to spread Teach's reputation. As La Concorde's crew knew, he was now in command of a pirate fleet. Queen Anne's revenge became Teach's flagship, but that didn't mean he gave up the revenge. Instead, he reappointed Steed Bonnet as captain, and together the two sailed the coast of America, plundering and adding ships to the growing armada. In a few short weeks, Teach's crew grew to roughly 300 men. The Queen Anne's revenge ultimately carried around 40 cannons, it was one of the largest pirate armies since Henry Morgan's fleet in the mid-1600s. By now, Teach was well aware that there were two elements to keeping power as a captain, battle savvy and keeping the plunder coming. Teach not only nailed both, but he added a third element, reputation. In 1717, Henry Bostock of the sloop Margaret gave an account of surviving one of Teach's attacks. He described Teach as a very tall man with a long black beard. It seems to be the first time anyone had ever described Teach's looks, and it painted an intimidating picture. In fact, Edward Teach was said to be over six feet tall and physically imposing. Capitalizing on his size, Teach grew a massive beard and braided it into rows. Considering the humid and hot weather, beards were rare on pirate ships but Teach knew he could use it to his advantage. In battle, Teach dipped cannon fuses in saltpeter and lime water and stuck them in his beard. Before boarding a ship, he lit the fuses on fire, which slowly burned and gave off the illusion of smoke emanating from his body. He crafted an image as the devil incarnate, intimidating both his enemies and his crew. As a result, Edward Teach forever became known as Blackbeard. A nickname that struck fear in the eyes of sailors all across the Atlantic. In less than six months, Blackbeard had become more infamous than his mentor. And as 1718 began, he had big plans for the new year. At the very top of that list was revenge. Coming up, Blackbeard sends a disturbing message to New Englanders. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. 
Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Now, back to the story. By the start of 1718, the 30-something-year-old Edward Teach had transformed himself into the fearsome and imposing Blackbeard. To those who encountered him, both foe and friend, he was the face of evil. It was this ruthless image that allowed him to hold on to power and continue his success. Merchant vessels surrendered without a fight at the sight of his long, smoky beard, and his crew dared not question his authority. Where Henry Every had ruled through charisma, Blackbeard ruled through fear. In spring of 1718, Blackbeard and his fleet's co-captain, Steed Bonnet, split up. Some historians theorize they both wanted to search for bigger prizes independently. Others believe Blackbeard had become annoyed by the, quote, less than well-seasoned bonnet. But the separation lasted only a few weeks. At the end of March, Steed Bonnet's ship, the Revenge, just so happened to come across Blackbeard near Belize. To the crew of the Revenge, it was a welcome relief. The crewmen immediately told Blackbeard a tale of a complete and total incompetence by Bonnet. Just a few days earlier, the Revenge had come across a 400-ton behemoth with over two dozen cannons called the Protestant Caesar. The much smaller Revenge had absolutely no business taking on the Protestant Caesar, but Bonnet ordered his crew to attack anyway. For roughly three hours, the two ships engaged in battle, with death and injury mounting on both sides. Finally, at around midnight, the Revenge gave up and sailed away. It was a demoralizing tale of defeat, and the Revenge was all too happy to be back under the leadership of the fearsome Blackbeard. Bonnet was immediately relieved of duty and became a hostage on his own ship once again. But there was another detail of the story that made Blackbeard's blood boil. The Protestant Caesar had originated from Boston, and Blackbeard had sworn death and destruction on anyone from New England, all because of the death of his former shipmate, Sam Bellamy. When Blackbeard's mentor, Benjamin Hornigold, was removed from his captaincy in 1716, Sam Bellamy was voted in to replace him. After Hornigold and Blackbeard sailed off on their sloop, Bellamy became a successful and fearsome pirate captain in his own right. But at the end of April 1717, Bellamy's ship was caught in a nasty storm that heavily damaged his fleet. The flagship got caught in a nor'easter and was destroyed. Most of the crew, including Sam Bellamy, drowned in the wreckage. Those who survived managed to wash up along the Massachusetts coast, Survivors were arrested and stood trial in Boston for piracy. In November, six of the men were found guilty and hanged. When word of their hangings reached Blackbeard, he swore vengeance on all New Englanders. The Protestant Caesar seemed like the perfect target to take out his rage. 
so he told his men to drop the sails and find her. At the beginning of April 1718, Blackbeard and his crew began scouring the waters of Belize. Over the course of a few days, Blackbeard added two more ships to his navy, including the Adventure. He named his quartermaster and trusted confidant Israel Hands as the Adventure's new captain. Then, on April 8th, Blackbeard spotted the Protestant Caesar off the coast of Honduras. When the crew saw Blackbeard's pirate flag flying high, they deserted the ship and hid in the jungles. For three days, the crew of the Protestant Caesar watched from the beach as Blackbeard and his men plundered the ship. Finally, on April 11th, the Protestant's captain, Wire, received a message to come aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge to parley. Much to Wire's relief, Blackbeard was in a forgiving mood. Because Wire and his men had refused to fight, Blackbeard decided he was going to let them all go, even giving them one of his sloops to sail away on. However, Blackbeard also needed to send a message. The next day, once all the loot was plundered and the crew was on their way, Blackbeard set the Protestant Caesar ablaze. The next few weeks were busy for Blackbeard. Throughout the rest of April and most of May, his growing pirate fleet terrorized the Caribbean. Blackbeard captured roughly 20 ships around the Cayman Islands in Cuba, adding more men and an unnamed Spanish sloop to his fleet. But despite the wild success, Blackbeard was becoming dissatisfied, maybe even a little bored. In nearly every attack, his enemies surrendered without even putting up a fight. Blackbeard was itching to do something big bold, something that would forever etch his name into the annals of not just pirate history, but world history. As he looked at his four pirate vessels and a crew of between 300 and 400 men, he knew that the time was right to make a statement. All he needed to figure out was what that statement should be. On the afternoon of May 22, 1718, the people of Charlestown, South Carolina, were confused to see four vessels sail into the harbor. Instead of docking, they formed an arc in the water, blocking the way to the Atlantic. For hours, the four ships waited in place. And when other ships tried to leave the harbor, they were quickly seized. By the time the sun set, word finally ran through all of Charlestown what was happening. The infamous Blackbeard had taken the entire city hostage. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll dive into the blockade of Charlestown and its aftermath, as well as Blackbeard's nefarious betrayal and the thrilling battle that led to his downfall. Among the many sources we used, we found Blackbeard, America's Most Notorious Pirate by Angus Constam and Black Flags, Blue Waters by Eric J. Dolan, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Billy Pace, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Dictators was written by Joe Guerra, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and Andrew Messer, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Chelsea Wood. 
Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. <laughs> 